Coming up next on this episode of the Unlock You podcast. Because we have these protection mechanisms. And whenever my soul believes a lie, like nobody cares, no one's really there. They just say that it's just lip service. When you make that agreement, that belief system, walls come around your heart and that pain, as if it's true, metastasizes on the inside of you. And it causes you to create self-fulfilling prophecies, not calling people back or texting, not asking for help or asking for prayer or encouragement, not investing in others because you think they're not invested in you. Your relationships can become very isolated, very alone and empty. And you may even be ghosting people because your belief system is they're not there for you. They don't really care. They don't really get you. And so without realizing it, you may actually be the one who's pulling away that they're left feeling, why don't they care about me? Why are they not there for me? Welcome to Unlock You with Dr. Shannon Crawford. And as you know, I am a really big fan of relationships, not just in my personal life, but also the research is really clear that by having a healthy support system around you, it buffers from so much stress that's in our life. We are constantly inundated with messages that are negative and caustic and stressful. You are juggling a million different plates and to be able to internally know I've got a whole team supporting me can literally diffuse the amount of stress that your body is feeling. The key in that is actually believing you have people who are in your corner that are for you. The ironic thing is the research studies, it's not that you just have people because lots of us have people in our life, but it's actually believing it. It's when someone on the inside says, I am supported, I'm cared about, I'm invested in versus another person who actually may have just as many people, objectively speaking, in their life. And yet when we don't feel loved, when we tell ourselves a narrative that nobody cares, nobody gets it, I'm alone and unsupported. In that place, the stress response spikes. Picture it like there's a part of you that's inside a room on the inside. And even though there are people around you who want to be there for you, the deposits the effort they would love to give, it's like it's not penetrating because we have these protection mechanisms. And whenever my soul believes a lie, like nobody cares, nobody gets it. No one's really there. They just say that it's just lip service. When you make that agreement, that belief system, walls come around your heart and that pain as if it's true metastasizes on the inside of you. And it causes you to create self-fulfilling prophecies, not calling people back or texting, not asking for help or asking for prayer or encouragement, not investing in others because you think they're not invested in you. Your relationships can become very isolated, very alone and empty. And you may even be ghosting people because your belief system is they're not there for you. They don't really care. They don't really get you. And so without realizing it, you may actually be the one who's pulling away that they're left feeling, why don't they care about me? Why are they not there for me? You and I are susceptible to the reality we create in our unconscious mind. So be aware. 
Are you leaning into the reality that you construct? And I'll say you're constructing it, good or bad, that people love you, they're there for you, and they want to be there for you. If that's your belief system, then you're more likely to look for that. You're more likely to gravitate toward people that are healthy versus if you're literally queued up unconsciously that people are selfish, they're busy, they don't have time for me, they give nice lip service, but they don't really mean it, you're more likely to send off vibes that repel the good people. And then the people that are probably not as healthy are more likely to come in your life. And then all these weird self-sabotaging reenactment things are more likely to happen, proving yourself right. It is true. There are selfish people out there. It's true that sometimes you and I can be selfish. And as much as we're blaming others that they're not there for us, sometimes we are the ones that are not there for others. We create the world that our unconscious mind has as a template of core beliefs. When your core belief says, I am loved, I am honored, I am celebrate, people accept me, I belong you're more likely to be open and accessible and available to the world around you. You're more likely to have healthy people drawn towards you. And then when ultimately imperfect world, when people are not awesome, you can just take that as an outlier versus a confirmation. See more evidence that people are not there for me. In real life, people are overwhelmed and busy. And there's so many moments that we can say, oh, why didn't they text me back? Why didn't they call me back? Why did, why do I always have to reach out and they never reach out to me by following that narrative? You are the victim in that dynamic without taking ownership and responsibility saying, Hey, this person's important to me. I'm going to assess how important the relationship is. And I'm going to invest accordingly. There's so many times that I could feel myself go, oh, they didn't text me back. Am I not important to them? And I have a decision in that moment. Do I take it personal and assume it's something about me? Or do I continue to pursue, not like all my eggs in that basket, right? But just a, a healthy amount of pursuit of like, hey, I just want you to know I'm thinking about you. Hey, I just want you to know I'm checking in. Hope you're having a great day, thinking about you, praying for you today. In those little bids to connect, you're showing investment when the other person may be drowning in their own emotions or overwhelm or stress. They may be juggling a million text messages and life demands and emails that day, and it literally has nothing to do with you. And yet human nature is to personalize. And we personalize it that they're doing that because of me. Versus one day I'll be with clients and I'll have 54 text messages, like a normal day of precious, wonderful, amazing people that want to get a hold of me. And I want to respond to them. But psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, I have nothing else to give. And looking at my phone and responding to a bunch of emails and text messages, I just don't have the bandwidth. So the people in my life have to now learn realistic expectations that I probably won't get back to you till a couple days later. But the same grace we need to be giving to others, that as much as we think, well, of course, right? That's a self-confirming bias. Of course, I can't respond. Look at all that I'm doing. And you don't know all the things they may have in their life. 
So be very cognizant of the thoughts you allow yourself to think of others. If they don't get back to you, if they don't respond the way you want, then that's a moment, an opportunity to lean into the relationship versus insulating and protecting yourself. There was one day that after a long therapy, I'd seen a million billion people that day. And I was just kind of emotionally spent. I was looking forward to a conference time with uh, some really meaningful people. And I was half listening to be honest. I'm not recommending it, just reality. And I'm charting at the end of the day. And a dear friend calls and says, um, you know, my husband's friend has passed away. I need to go be there with my husband. I can't go to the conference, blah, blah, blah. And so in my heart, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. But apparently on the outside, out of my fatigue, out of my foggy brain, out of multitasking, my response wasn't as emotionally available as it normally would have been, could have been, should have been. But I didn't know that because I'm listening, I'm responding, and I have no idea that my brain is multitasking all these other topics, just trying to get out of the office, get all my work done so I can go home and rest. Fortunately, this friend loved me enough that they said, hey, can we connect? And when they brought it to my attention, this dear friend loved me enough to not accuse me. They didn't give me the, you did this. Why did you do this? They didn't put me on the defensive. This friend in their own place of hurt, I had hurt their feelings by being kind of preoccupied, which is kind of selfish. You just told me something important. And in that moment, I was not checked in. And instead of attacking or accusing, this dear friend said, hey, I just want to check on how you are. Um, I know that was probably a long day, right? They're giving benefit of the doubt. When I had shared about my husband's friend passing away, you didn't respond in the way I would have normally thought you would. Um, it seems like you were kind of preoccupied and maybe not fully engaged. I was so relieved. I was so grateful that one, she didn't just ghost me and step out of my life going, oh, Shannon's all talk. She, you know, says all these things, but not a real friend at the end of the day. If that was her existing bias, she would have walked away and totally discarded our friendship based on an off day. Secondly, she also didn't bring it to me in an attacking way. I didn't feel accused or belittled or thought poorly of. I didn't have the posture of having to defend myself. She came to me in love but she also came to me. How many times we harbor things in our heart and we don't speak to our friend, our spouse, our family member. Now I'm not saying to every week, you've got to talk about something, but I am saying in those moments, if something kind of wounds your heart, it's beneficial to speak the truth in love. Now, I say that in a blanket statement where there's a million different factors. So I wouldn't say bring every single thing ever, right? If you're constantly offended in a relationship and things constantly don't feel good, that would be an invitation to journal about it first. Check in with yourself. Is this person reminding me of anyone or anything else? Is this triggering anything inside of me that I keep perceiving them through my filters? Secondly, ask yourself, do I have any judgments or beliefs about this person? One couple I worked with in couples counseling, there was an existing belief at an unconscious level that he had already made a judgment. She is going to cheat on me. 
So out of that judgment, the brain now looks for evidence. And he was doing things and acting in ways and putting her in positions that actually would more likely prove himself right. And when we believe people are going to reject us, abandon us, leave us, not be there for us, we do things that set them up to prove us right. If you have someone in your life and it's, there's doing something that doesn't feel good, just stuffing it down and not dealing with it is not helpful because eventually probably some distance is going to grow. You're probably going to unconsciously start building some walls and protection mechanisms. I think we've all been there. We know what that's like. And over time, the intimacy, the connection, I mean, I see it in marriages and families all the time that it's just like, there's this nothingness left. It's empty because we've spent so many times building our self-protection mechanisms because we haven't been humbling ourselves, deal with our own stuff so that you can bring it to the person in love. Now, going back to my friend where I had hurt her, for her to bring that to me in love quickly, without making me have to defend myself, giving me the benefit of the doubt, and then sharing how it impacted her, everything inside wanted to empathize. I didn't feel shamed, humiliated, judged. I felt very loved and invested into, and so it was very easy to empathize. Now I need you to think, if you're the person bringing something to someone else's attention, how are you bringing it to them? Are you doing it in love? Are you giving the benefit of the doubt? Or are you already filling in the gaps of why they did that, already having a little bit of sass and attitude? When my clients tell me, oh, I already told them that. Oh, they already know. Normally, my first question is, how did you tell them? What was the delivery like in which you shared that? And so in that moment, we're not very objective, but if you already have a judgment, this person is selfish, they don't care about me or anyone else. They just think about themselves. You will deliver the message in a very counterproductive way that makes them feel alienated, othered and judged. And so they're less likely to receive anything that you have to say. I love the possibility and it's not always, but there is a possibility and it happens to me all the time in therapy that by just presenting it in a kind way where I give the benefit of the doubt and I can say, I know that you love your family. I know your heart is good toward your staff. I know that your intentions are actually really good, but I'm wondering if there's ways that you're speaking to people that may be undermining that message and they feel less valued that they don't feel really seen or known around you. Or that when you're multitasking, like my friend lovingly let me know, it comes across as very disingenuous. May we be people who are able to receive feedback and to give feedback graciously. One of the hardest things as a therapist is that many times I'm the first person to actually give constructive feedback in someone's life eventually they'll say, oh yeah, my family's been saying that for years, but they never heard it in a way that was in respect and love and value, giving the benefit of the doubt that they felt safe enough to lower their walls and let it in. 
I had another couple many years ago and the husband was sharing, there's things that you do sometimes when we're in arguments that make me feel insecure in the relationship. And so he has shared that at home, very possessive, angry, accusatory, and it has never gone well. She always gets pissed. Her walls go up. I'm walking out of this room. I'm not listening to this conversation. You can't treat me like this. And they end up in a bigger fight and somebody's kicking somebody out of the bedroom. In our office, in a place of humility and curiosity to try to invite conversation for him to learn delivery matters by coming at her or she, it could be male or female, by coming at the other person with an intensity and an accusation because you've been stewing on it and you've already formed a judgment against that person and why they did what they did, you've already set the tone of the conversation to be a quick demise. But if you can do your own work, you can forgive, remove judgments, stop interjecting your own beliefs of why they did or did not do X, Y, Z. Now you can humbly say, Hey, I don't know your heart. I don't know your motives. I can just tell you that when I see you reach out to someone like this, especially the context of that relationship, it makes me feel less secure in the relationship. I feel hurt. I feel disrespected. Whether that's your intention or not, that doesn't feel good for me. And so in that context where he was actually able to share the soft underbelly and communicate what the spouse was unable to hear before, because it was such a venom of accusation and possessiveness, now the spouse could actually hear them. And in a 30 minute time span, all of a sudden the spouse said, you know, to be honest, I don't, I don't think I even realized it but I do think I was probably getting some kind of a, a good feeling from talking to that person. I don't think I was trying to flirt or cheat on you or make you jealous, but probably there is a possibility that without realizing it, I was getting some kind of comfort or, or just kind of ease or laughter with this person when I was mad at you. And while that isn't necessarily an affair by any means, it could leave the door open. It could leave things cracked and vulnerable in the relationship that when I'm mad at you, I go talk to this other person, male or female, right? So we need to learn how to give feedback constructively. That means I need to be responsible for my emotions. If I already believe you're selfish, I already believe you're a narcissist. I already believe that you don't care about me. I already believe that um, you've got mother issues and whatever you say, it's not real. I have already discredited and shut down any emotional available communication. And remember pride, which is where I have all the answers and I know why that's happening. And I'm going to put you in your place. Pride puffs up and it gives us the illusion of feeling safe. And we're expecting that this person is somehow going to have the emotional capacity to hear that and not just turn me off. In real life, people need to hear the best. Even if they're wrong, even when my friend gave me feedback, I was able to hear it because I could say, you know what? That's true. That is a hundred percent true. I was disappointed 
that I didn't get to see you for the conference. I was burnt out from the long day. I really just wanted to get home. So I was still charting and I was probably giving about 20% of my brain to that conversation. And in the future, probably I should ask, hey, do you mind if we have this conversation when I'm not charting? Or maybe you could ask me, hey, I have something kind of heavy to share. Is now a good time? We want to set each other up for success. We want to learn how to have communication that draws us closer into intimacy and connection. And when we learn how to steward that and we build conversation that love builds up and we build one another up, reminding ourselves and them, I know your heart is good. I know your motives are good. I know that you have a lot of stress and it would be easy for me to take it personal but I know that's not your heart. Can you invite me in and help me understand what happens when you don't text me for a few days? What happens when I don't hear from you? On my side, it might feel like ghosting, but I would love to hear from you what's actually going on from your camera angle of the situation. There's a humility and a curiosity of coming with a posture of wanting to invite them to share rather than demanding, accusing, or just being silent and them having to ask, what's wrong? Something seems different. And you're like, oh, nothing. And now they're in the place of having to pursue you, which is very unhealthy. We want to be grown adults who have healthy communication, who proactively can say, hey, I love that you do this. That really warms my heart. I recognize this. And little bit of feedback, this area, I would love it if you asked me questions at the end of the conversation instead of just changing the topic. You know, I had a dear friend uh, recently, they said, Hey, how's your day? How are you doing? And I responded and they literally changed the subject and talked about what they really called about. I know the person's heart. I know they love me and I know that they genuinely do care how I'm doing. So in a humorous, light, playful way, I said, do you realize you just asked how I'm doing? I responded and you didn't even acknowledge that I had talked and you switched back to the main topic of really why you were calling. I'm not mad at you. I'm not angry or upset, but I'm helping you realize a little blind spot that I kind of felt disregarded that I had just shared something really big about my day and it was just like not even heard. And they were like, oh my gosh, you're absolutely right. I'm so sorry. I had an agenda when I was calling you. I needed to talk about this and move on. And, and I didn't even pause to really digest what you had said. And I'm really sorry. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. At the end of that two-second interaction, we felt closer, more connected. I'm not walking away ruminating, you did that to me. And hopefully they can now be more mindful in future conversations. Now, that doesn't mean just because we bring something to someone's attention once that they've got it. What it does mean is now I can remind them gently and prompt and say, hey, as a reminder, this would be a really good time to ask me a question or a follow-up or just acknowledge that I just spoke. I know you're busy. I know you have a lot on your plate. You're you know, maybe in the middle of your workday, but it would be really sweet to just say something right now that tells me how much you love me. 
Another thing that I find enchanting that some of my couples have learned to do with each other, that instead of just getting mad at one another for not acknowledging them or kissing them or hugging them or saying words of affirmation, that they walk into the room and they're like, oh, were you just wanting to say how much you love me right now? Oh, were you wanting to give me a hug? Because I also wanted to give you a hug. And you turn it into repartee, play, jovial enjoyment of one another, rather than a bitterness, a coldness, a continued heartache that they're just not reaching out to you. Maybe you're prompting them, you're reminding, bringing it to the forefront of their imagination and their creativity of that moment. You're inviting and cultivating. And when you do it with a positive, rather than it always being negative feedback, you're more likely to reinforce that happening again. But if the only time somebody hears that you want a hug or a compliment, or you want them to pay attention to you on the phone or whatever it might be, if only feedback is in negative and heavy and long, and I have a lot of guys that are like, she uses so many words. (laughs) So let's shorten some of our words, do a lot more journaling ahead of time process your words, get it out, go to your therapist, talk your words out. And then when you deliver it, try to make it not so heavy and hard. I mean, don't be fake. If there's something real and heavy, be real, but not everything. I'm talking to some of the people that I talk to that everything is a big deal. Everything is hard and heavy and be aware that can be hard on the receiving end. If all feedback is that hard and heavy. So bring your, your information, but also bring it playfully. Remind them in the moment with love, with repartee, with flirtiness, rather than always with condescension or coldness, or you just walked in the room and didn't even acknowledge me again. Wow. I just talked and gosh, you obviously weren't listening again, right? That is probably not going to get the end result that you are wanting. What that's going to do is breed resentment. And they're going to feel negative and the behavior you just asked for, they now have a negative association and you're actually reducing the likelihood of that behavior happening again. But again, if it's a family member or it's a loved one that you're like, Hey, now is a great time to give me a hug. I have really great news. And I would love for you to clear your mind and focus on this really exciting thing that I have to share with you. And if somebody doesn't have the response that you would like, it's okay to tell them that like, Hey, now would be a great time to give me a really big high five to cheer me on and be so proud of me. It's okay to coach people. I'm not saying control or boss or manipulate. I'm saying forthright communication. Everybody's personalities are totally different. Your love language of what makes you feel honored, recognized, celebrated, and respected is usually the complete opposite and doesn't even cross the mind of the person that you would love to acknowledge you. It could be a child to a parent, uh, a spouse or romantic relationship, a coworker, a boss to a employee. It happens all the time that we expect people should just know instead of using delightful, playful ways of saying, now would be a really good time to tell me you're super proud of me. Or if someone walks in my room that I love and they are really bad at telling me they love me back, I'll say, hey, I know what you wanted to say when you walked in. And they're like, huh, what? 
I was just working. What are you saying? And I'm like, you wanted to tell me how much you love me because I'm really a big priority to your life. And they always laugh and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love you because I've learned to believe the best and hope the best about that person. And I know as an extrovert, it's really nice to hear positive words, get hugs, all those things from the people we care about. If we're not getting it, then coach them into it, guide them into it, bring communication in a life-giving way that you're setting them up for success. I had a friend who had also given feedback, but it was in such a critical tone that even the best therapist in the world couldn't have heard that. <laughs> like I, we're all just human at the end of the day. Be aware of the delivery. And if you're somebody receiving rough delivery, you could gently lovingly say, Hey, I know that I've hurt you. I respect that. And I want to make it right. But can I share that maybe the delivery right now is pretty intense and it's actually a little bit hard for me to sit with this because it's kind of taking me out at the knees and I don't feel like my personhood my character is being represented because this isolated event or multiple events, this case you've been building against me, I don't feel like that fully represents who I am or the tone or language or the delivery that, that feels respectful and honoring so that I'm able to hear the feedback and do something constructive with it. In healthy adult communication, you get to decide how people are allowed to and not allowed to talk to you. And you get to decide what core beliefs do I have about the people in my life? Because the enemy will try to plant seeds of negativity of why they're doing X, Y, Z. And before you know it, there's little strife and division in your relationships, just like subtle little plantings before you know it. And you're back to feeling isolated and unloved and your stress goes up, which impacts health, mood, faith, work, spirituality, all these things are impacted just by these little seeds of offense, disappointment, failed expectations. If we can do a good job of protecting the healthy, good relationships in our life. Now, some relationships we have to be able to hold open-handed and say, huh, maybe that one was just for a season a reason, and then only a few, or maybe for a true lifetime relationship. But we want to be good stewards, honor those in your life by giving the benefit of the doubt in your own heart. Stop judgments. Stop, stop, stop. Be aware. Am I judging them that they're lazy? They're selfish. They're dumb. They don't care about me. Or am I trying to see the benefit of the doubt? And then bringing the feedback in a way that's life-giving and honoring so they feel seen and represented and cared about while I'm giving them constructive feedback that now they can steward however they want to do. And then be aware that people don't automatically develop those habits. So now you can use whatever way is organic to your personality and to the relationship to prompt and remind and instill those new habits and that new culture through a playful, flirty, dynamic, wonderful way that you're reminding them, this is my need. I know that you're good. And I'm just helping us develop those neural pathways of what fires together, wires together, which is Hebb's law. You don't need to know that part, but now your brain develops new habits because of repetition with positive reinforcement. 
And then the key is anytime someone does something that you really like, try to positively reinforce that behavior that they feel recognized. And then their brain will pair that behavior with this really great feeling. And that creates a dopamine response because they know what I do makes a difference. It matters. You recognize it and you have just created synergy that sets you up for strong, robust, healthy relationships that are more insulated, more protected, that when the little division attacks try to come, you've already been building deposits. You have a good amount of uh, healthy love and acceptance and belonging and affirmation that you've been strategically trying to meet their love languages so that they feel built up. And when the enemy lies to them or he lies to you, you're like, nope, that's not true. It's easier to disregard it. And my last key is love languages are not just for romantic relationships. It's a great idea to do love language test at work. There's a professional one. So we're not talking about crossing boundaries. There's a professional work-related love languages test. You can do it for your family members, your neighbors, your roommates, your college pals, whomever in your life that you value. It's good to know what is your love language and how can I intentionally pursue that? I remember in one specific friendship, this person, uh, I felt very unloved, unrecognized, and our relationship was very strained. And then it dawned on me that I was like, oh, this person is really trying to buy me thoughtful gifts. Gifts isn't necessarily one of my high ones. So I literally didn't even recognize their effort. And I was feeling super depleted and unloved. And then I looked back at my life and I was like, oh, they have been trying to love me in their way. And in the inverse, I was affirming them with words, writing cards, saying nice things, trying to recognize them in public. Obviously, I did not know that that was not their love language. They were looking for thoughtfulness, that I was intentional, that I was giving them gifts that conveyed, I really know you and I'm invested in what's important to you. I was not thinking about that because that's not my love language. And I had never thought through my love language and this person. But when I did, and we had that conversation, we could now laugh and go, oh my gosh, you've been trying to love me and I wasn't recognizing it. And I was trying to love you and you weren't recognizing it. No wonder we've both been really depleted. So now I can be really intentional and I may not always win, but at least the effort is recognized that I'm trying to step inside this person's world and give gifts that convey thoughtfulness, that I know you and I support what's important to you. And now I've noticed this person has actually started to ask me about my life and has actually said some affirming things a few times when that's not normally their primary love language. So you can coach your relationships. Once there's some good, robust uh, love going on and deposits, now you have some leeway and people have more to give and to spend in your relationship with one another. So my encouragement is reduce your stress by increasing your social support system. Take those thoughts captive. Be aware of what you're thinking. Stop judgments. Stop personalizing that if they've got, they've gone AWOL, maybe it doesn't deal with you. Maybe it does, but also maybe it's some of their unconscious stuff and it's getting projected. Who knows? It's just not helpful to assume that it's you. 
give delivery in a way that's life-giving, that they feel recognized and valued as a person, that you give the benefit of the doubt, but you still speak the truth. Don't just hide things and never say anything, right? There's a pendulum. Some people overshare everything and there's always a problem in drama. Other people say nothing and it just builds, builds, builds. And then there's an emptiness. Be someone who journals, processes, how did that impact me? Work through the intensity of emotion, the betrayal, whatever, so that now you can speak the truth in love while giving the benefit of the doubt which more likely produces change and then positively reinforce, help that person establish this new habit and routine by using humor and prompts and playfulness. If you're the parent and you're trying to remind your child, or if you're the child trying to remind your parent or a million other scenarios, remind them now would be a great time to give me a a kiss on the cheek. Now would be a great time to tell me that you are proud of me for X, Y, Z. Now would be a great time to give me permission to go take a bath and be alone and introvert for the rest of the night. (laughs) And when you use humor and life and the benefit of the doubt, you draw out the best version of that person. And then find out what's their love language, what's yours, have really fun dialogue about that. In some relationships, people are not comfortable with that question because maybe they're old school and they think that stuff is woo-woo. But man, it makes a difference. I work with lots of people across the spectrum. Knowing a love language really does give you the intentionality to invest and actually have meaningful deposits. You are worth it. Your relationships are worth it. So prioritize investing in your relationships so that you can have a good buffer in life of really sweet people that want to be there, want to be your ally and your support, and you get to rest and enjoy and receive the benefits of investing in relationships and getting that harvest of people investing back in you. Thanks guys. And I'll see you for the next episode.